Welcome to the College Football Connection, your taste of all the college football action going on this week. We love the Ohio State Buckeyes. We hate that team up north, and we've got way too much to say. We're joined by the one and only Zach Smith, also known as Menace to Sports, to give us the behind the scenes and some expert insights on the action. Zach, great to have you. Let's get this thing going. Always a pleasure, fellas. I'm excited. Crazy, crazy weekend without too many upsets, right? There, it was a crazy weekend of, of games that, uh, that, that passed this weekend. A lot to talk about. Um, first and foremost, the Ohio State Buckeyes. Um, we had a, Mayan Williams out of this game. Cravion got hurt in this game. And Zach, did you see what you needed to see from the passing game and the receivers, or was the competition still... Uh, I mean, making it difficult to to analyze. So in games like that, right, it's, it's, you just, you're really rooting for them to do what they're supposed to do, right? You you can't really learn, like, will they be able to do that against Alabama when they play Michigan State? I mean, Michigan State is by far the worst pass defense that Ohio State has played. And I kind of broke it down on my show on Monday. Like, if you look at CJ Stroud and and the pass game, I mean, not just CJ Stroud, but the pass game, the, you know, pass pro routes, receiver, uh, receiver production and and effectiveness and then CJ's ability to throw the ball. He's really lit up the teams he's supposed to, right? Like Arkansas State is 107th in pass defense. He went off for 15 yards per attempt, four touchdowns, right? Michigan State's the worst that they played, 122nd in the country. And he lit him up for 14 yards per attempt, six touchdowns, and then the one pick that wasn't his fault. So you kind of know that he's going to do that. And I even said it on my show. I was like, I know I've been critical of CJ, so but just be prepared. He's going to absolutely light the world on fire on, on Saturday because Michigan State's terrible yeah. on defense. They just are because the best pass defense he's played, Rutgers and, and Notre Dame, he just hasn't looked the same. And so he they did what they're supposed to do. I'm really interested to see when they play Penn State, will he be able to light up a, a, a good secondary? That's what, I, that's what kind of the jury's yeah. out on, right? We still don't know that he will be able to do that or they will be able to do that. But to, to give them credit where credit's due, they lit Michigan State up all all over the scoreboard, the field, everywhere, like they were supposed to. Yeah, that's kind of was my takeaway from it too. And you can just, I think, more than anything, it it should showcase like we're dealing with high level talent here. I mean, oh, yeah. Marvin Marvin Harrison is an animal, right? I know you still have some some develop. You see the development that he needs to make in terms of route running, um, but from a sheer talent standpoint. We've got some animals on the field, and it's just a matter of like, <laughs> if you're not ready for us, we're gonna we're gonna demolish you. But like you said, what's gonna happen when we actually deal with a team with a good pass defense? If you haven't seen a good pass defense all season, yeah, versus seeing it four or five times, yeah. And I think one stat I want to call out, which I thought was really impressive, is that um, Ohio State is number one in pass efficiency this year. Tennessee is number two. The gap between Ohio State and Tennessee, one and two, is the same as the gap between Tennessee and number 10, Wake Forest. So yeah. just to show, it could be a level of competition thing, but I mean, I think it's worth noting that we have a very, very impressive pass offense. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, it's, it's, it's dynamic. And, and I think that the, we'll really find out how good they are when they play better defenses, right? Because you, you even, I, I had, Chris, my co-host, was comparing Julian Fleming to Alabama's receivers, and Julian Fleming would be, I think, second on Alabama's roster in receiving yards and production by one yard. And and my point I made to him was, Texas and Texas A&M, although they're not as good as people would like to give them credit for, their their secondaries are still better than anyone Ohio State has played, right? And that's mm-hmm. not a knock on Ohio State. It's just like, we don't know yet. Like, we don't know how good this passing attack is. It has certainly been ridiculous against inferior opponents but will it be up to the task against an equal opponent because i've been there in 2012 
all the way into 2013, we didn't play a team that had a real secondary. And my guys just got away with whatever they wanted to do. They killed everybody. But when we finally played Michigan State in the Big Ten Championship game in 2013 with two first-round corners, we could not get open. And prior to that point, you would have said the receivers played out of their mind. But the the reality was they were just playing bad players, and we were really good players. And it seemed like that, and, and you, I've always wanted to ask this question, right? It seemed like this was always the case with Urban's offenses. He literally was just like, I've got guys that are faster and better. So the routes that they were running, the route tree wasn't as complicated. But then when you face an opponent and your players hadn't been doing it all this, all year, they've just been like, throw throw the ball out in a quick hitch and see what they do with the ball. Yeah. When it comes to a game where you actually have to go to the route tree run and run a real offense, it's almost not it's almost not the player's fault. You also see why this becomes such a challenge for guys who dominate in the college level and then go to the NFL. You've got to know that. You're not going to just out-talent anyone at the NFL no. level. Well, and the other side of it is, right, we just I mean, we could talk receiver play all day. This is my wheelhouse, yeah. right? Like beating man coverage is really hard against a good player. Yeah. And if you don't work on that and 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 kind of refine all your tools to do so for an entire year, when you play a, an NFL corner in college football, you're going to get covered, right? You are. And, yeah. and going back to 2012, 2013, we played a, a multitude of coverages, all these off quarters, off thirds. Like We didn't work on press near enough because we didn't face it enough. You go to 2014, yeah. all we saw was press coverage. Every day in practice, every rep, we never got off coverage. And so you watch yeah. the receivers play that year. If someone pressed us, we dominated them. And so that's going to be my the big question mark looming for this offense because it is the best offense in college football is when an NFL corner walks up and presses Marvin Harrison Jr. Because he, he has gotten away with not getting open, right? He just His ball skills are freaky. But yeah, yeah. They, he also goes against the 93rd best corner and, and really secondary in the country playing the ball in the air at Ohio State. That's the one weakness they have on defense. They're, they're 93rd in the country at passes defended, like breaking passes up, intercepting passes. Penn State's number one in the country at that. They play the ball well in the yeah. air. Will Marvin still be able to do what he's been doing against a secondary that if they're if they're covering you, they play the ball well, you might not catch that ball. Yeah. It seems it seems like those will be our our two legit challenges, right? The yeah. Penn State game and the Michigan game before we get to the playoff in terms yeah. of teams with good secondaries and and that's really going to be the litmus test for us uh this yeah. season it seems like. I also it's wanted a, to it, call it, out the uh the the running game i mean i thought travion henderson was so good this weekend um where does where was um you know michigan state's defense in terms of their running approach relative to their pass is it also like a complete sieve or or are they better at that i mean they they definitely are better uh a better rush defense than they are a pass defense i mean i i think ohio state's run game has and and they've and wisconsin had a decent run defense like i think ohio state's run game is the one that's been slightly battle tested and proven that they can run the football like they'll run it on a, yeah. a good defense a bad defense they can run it on anybody um and so i think it was it was extremely impressive um and, and it's, i mean michigan state after that game obviously has dropped quite a bit in the in the rush rankings but the michigan state defense as a whole just it wasn't a true test and when you're a fan of ohio state or really alabama or anyone right you look at texas a&m's defense is awful but Alabama struggled. You're just you're hoping as a fan of one of the top teams in college football that when you play a defense like that or a team like that, you do what you're supposed to do. And they did. They ran it down their throat. They threw it all over them. I mean, it was just a dominant game. Yeah. Yeah, it was it, it was a pretty uh pretty impressive victory and we're we're stringing these together now. Um that also seems to kind of be a concern, right? If you the longer you go without being tested, right? It seems like it's been months, probably the Notre Dame game since Notre Dame. Oh yeah. We've faced a challenge. Um how how difficult is that in the week leading up to like a Penn State game where the guys have to get up suddenly have been coasting. You, you practice a little bit harder. And Iowa this week, quite frankly, if you don't if you don't stay on top of your game, you know that's gonna be a well coached team that can always pull off one upset every year yeah. um, i mean that defense it, it, it's like penn state i don't think penn state has the offense to beat ohio state i think jim Knowles and the defense can will win that game for for the buckeyes right but that doesn't mean you can't yeah. learn a lot right 
Like this Iowa team has a solid defense, like a really good defense. So we're going to see this offense get tested. They can't score a point, so they're not going to win. But you're going to be able to say, you know what? That offense leveled up and they took a good, a a really good defense and made them look pedestrian. Same thing with Penn State. I don't think Sean Clifford can beat Ohio State, but that secondary is legit. So you're going to find out about the the throw game. You know what I mean? Yeah, Yeah. that's a really great point. I think we've seen that in other conferences this season. it's a surprise to see how weak our side, or really both sides of the Big Ten, are relative to the top teams. I mean, we saw um, a few surprises over the course of the season in terms of like, I didn't think Penn State, you, you, we know Penn State's usually a good team, but like they kind of didn't have the same hype that they usually do. Now they're playing you know, a lot better than, than I expected. Um, I think it's a real challenge when we're playing playing you know several games in a row to V's point where yeah. there really isn't an opportunity to grow that's not self driven. I think anybody anybody knows just from life experience that like it's it's the tough moments in life that make you better. It's very very hard to replicate that without an outside stimulus. And so that I think that's like the PTSD fear because I remember the the Penn State upset you know from back in the day. I remember the you know you still feel these things and on a year like this one where the field really legitimately looks wide open to take a shot at the title, you want to see that that mentality and that focus is building every game over the season. In the history as an Ohio state fan, right. And we've both been, we've all been this for, for many years. It's always the year that they hype us up the most that we don't get there. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) <laughs> and Holy so that's 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 the fear is it's like right now we are getting the respect nationally um and what's going to happen you know we can't afford a loss does that loss come as a result of everyone saying that our shit doesn't stink all year you know and zach zach very happily at least for his from his perspective happily was on the other side of it one year in florida but i know his heart was still a little hurt <laughs> even though his paycheck was <laughs> was a little i've just been on the better. right side every time <laughs> yeah <laughs> so zach with um with this game two questions about cj stroud one i like was very confused about that immediate pick like right at mm. the beginning um, so I'd love your take on that. And then two, you mentioned last week about his toughness and ability to be a real leader for the team. Just wanted to see if your opinion had evolved at all. Well, he, um, I don't know that I just, the one clip I have in my, in my mind of when Travion Henderson got hurt, when CJ was like, went like he was going to block the guy and then just got out of the way and the kids smacked Trey and hurt him. And you're like, why, why are you even pretending <laughs> you're going to block that guy? We know you're not just get out of his way. But I, he, he was impressive. I mean, CJ was impressive. He did everything he was supposed to do. I just got the game film, so I haven't watched that yet. I, do, I will do that after this show. But, I mean, it, it, I think he, he played well. And that interception, so the interception, here's before watching the actual game tape, here's my take on it. It happened to us once before. Anyone that listens can pull it up. It was the Alabama game. Cardale threw a pick to the His name was Cyrus Jones, the best corner that Alabama had. Devin Smith ran a go route. He threw it right to the corner. And you're looking like, what was that throw? Well, in reality, Devin was supposed to run a hitch and didn't run a hitch, and he ran a go route, which is what it looked like Emeka Egbuka did on that play. That being said, it was an RPO. It was a run play. And CJ decided to pull it and throw the hitch. Obviously, Emeka didn't, didn't have that in his head that he had a hitch, so he, he had a, a mistake and ran a go. But the problem with Cardale's throw and CJ's throw is you make that throw on a run play. If it's free access, the corner's just playing at eight yards. It's a free, it's free yards, right? Well, clearly he wasn't because he was standing at five yards when he caught it. So CJ was wrong for throwing it, but a Mecca should have run a hitch. And at the very least, like it, it would have been an incomplete pass. Right. So mutual, mutual kind of fault on that one. Yeah. It's a Mecca's why, fault. Why C, do, CJ had no business throwing it. Why do we do that as a team? I feel like the first like two drives of every game, the other team immediately scores on us. And we choke on offense. And then halfway through the first quarter, we're like, oh, yeah, we're playing football. And then we dominate. And sometimes what it's here's so it's two things, right? One is sometimes you got to get in the flow of the game, right? You you just got to get going. Some teams that I've been a part of just come out the gate fast. Some of them, you know, they got to test the waters a bit and then they start cooking. The other side of it is what Ohio State deals with that no one else in the Big Ten deals with and other teams do like Alabama deals with it. But you 
when you come out and you're the Buckeyes, you're going to face some shit you've never faced or seen on film. They're going to have a different uh, plan to try to take a shot at the beast. And sometimes it takes half a quarter. Sometimes it takes a half to figure out what yeah. they're doing, r- adjusting your attack plan and then attacking. And that's why you see Ohio State maybe get caught off guard with like a, a, a sucker punch early. And they're like, what was that? Like, I, we never we didn't prepare for that. And then they're reeling a bit and then they collect themselves and then they put their pedal to the metal and, and they floor the team. And, and that's it's just kind of like David and Goliath, right? Like if you're Goliath, you're not going to get a fair fight, right? You're going to get some yeah. wild stuff you didn't know was happening because you're the you're the alpha. You're that team. Yeah. In the uh in the Urban Meyer era, I remember there were so many of those types of games where it was like first half was tense, it was tough and we yeah. we'd find a way to win it in the fourth. From your perspective, um you know, when I look at Ryan Day, it's the same situation. We just score a lot more in the second half. Um who who does a better job with halftime coaching adjustments between Urban Meyer and Ryan Day? Um, I, I mean, I would say Ryan does just because he's more in tune to the game than Urban was. Um, Urban really didn't ever make halftime adjustments. So you really have to go compare Ryan to the other coordinators like Ed Warner and Tim Beck were about the worst I've ever seen. Tom Herman was really good at it. Ryan's the best I've been around at it. Um, Urban just honestly, Urban had his own separate locker room. He went in there and just like, was thinking about motivation. He didn't really have much to do with any adjustments. Um, oh, interesting. So, so Ryan as a whole is—I mean, he's light years better than Urban at that. Um, but yeah, he, yeah, he's Ryan's one of the best I've been around when it comes to seeing the game, knowing what's going on, and then attacking that—you uh, know, whatever the other team's plan is. Yeah, it seems like the 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 challenge comes to and is not in the game planning. He's really, really solid game planner. It's when. What he wants to do uh, gets taken away. It seems like there's still some growth he needs in that area. Yeah. But I think overall, like he's one of the best strategists in the game. If you look yeah. at from an offensive strategy, he always attacks whatever the opponent that they're facing. He's always attacking and exploiting that their weakness, For sure. um, which is which is very encouraging to see from a coach. Now we um, have to talk about Alabama next. Uh, look, let's 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 give this fair perspective. They lost their Heisman <laughs> Heisman <laughs> Trophy candidate quarterback, and it looked like it on the field. Um, this was one of the sloppiest games I've ever seen yeah. from an Alabama team. A and M had that game, fourth and two, victory ready. I don't understand if they did, and you've been saying this all year, Zach. If Texas A and M had a quarterback. They'd be really, really, really good. <laughs> and nothing showed how bad of a quarterback they have than on that fourth and two play, because if he had just made that ball catchable, they would have called the pass interference and they would have gotten another play. Yep. But the ball was like <laughs> 10 yards out of bounds. <laughs> I mean, and the A&M lost the game. You can't make this stuff up. You know, it's like <laughs> and, and, here's here's the reality i'm gonna give alabama a pass just for this game only because bryce young was hurt and yeah i think they're on major upset alert with this week and we can talk about that when we get to it but this kid jalen milrow is a dynamic runner but he legitimately cannot throw the football i mean he he's he was one of the worst quarterbacks throwing the ball i saw this weekend i mean he was he was 0 for 4 on what i call nfl throws right which are deep balls and anything over 10 yards outside the hash marks. So, so basically not right in front of him. Not check downs or little like spot routes at 11 yards. He was 0 for 4. They only threw 4 and he missed all 4. And he, he Alabama struggled. They've dropped the ball and Bryce Young's numbers are down because the receivers aren't playing well. They actually played decent in this game. They didn't drop a ball. They were trying to help him out. Probably easy to not drop a ball when the ball's sailing over your head by 10 yards. It's hard to catch that one or drop <laughs> it, right? But and then the reality was Alabama had four turnovers and and, and I mean Jalen Milrow had three of them. He threw a pick and fumbled twice, so he was the Achilles wow. heel. Outside of that, everyone else at Alabama I thought played well, except for they had the, they have a similar issue to Ohio State. They have one corner who got scorched all game by a freshman. I mean they targeted this corner eleven times. He gave up six catches for a hundred yards, and this fresh, freshman Evan Stewart was just cooking him up and down the field. Wow. And it, I mean, kudos to A&M's recruiting class. You know, we knew that they were they were quite strong. So I think there's to to that point that you made earlier about them having a quarterback. It's it's a matter of time before they really become a playoff contender pretty consistently. It looks like mm-hmm. they're building a good program down there. Um, what do you think about 
this backup quarterback at Alabama's um, situations, Zach, is he is he truly a talented quarterback or is he, you know, it's uncharacteristic from my perspective of Alabama to have a backup that's not, you know, on the level that they could start at most D1 programs. Yeah, he's got a lot of work to do with accuracy, his footwork, his fundamentals. I mean, he, he was a project. I mean, he ever, when Alabama took him, they knew they had a, uh, and this is going to be a reach, but a Michael Vick-esque athlete back there. But they, they And they knew right. that he was going to struggle throwing the ball, and they were going to have to refine that and try to get that to, to, to a level where he can at least functionally throw the ball. Um, and, th- and then they kind of went the other way. Then the next class, they have a true freshman five-star pocket-passing NFL prospect type of quarterback. It's just you can't throw a freshman to the fire like that. And so th- they're, they're dealing with it, right? They have a kid who can't throw, but he's dynamic. I mean, if you look at that game, 237 of their 399 yards were b- between Jameer Gibbs, their running back, and Jalen Milrow, the quarterback, just running the football. 60% of all yards were just them running. So they still get production. They still move the ball. They just can't throw it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, they have the best, the best player in all of college football, which is, which is Gibbs. He's, less, he's just an animal. Uh, he's just ridiculously talented. But I think this is one of those sneaky kind of challenges that comes with, again, this transfer portal, right? Like if you know and you're in a situation like Alabama or Ohio State and you're the best backup, now you're going to transfer to another school and so these schools are created with this unique challenge where there's going to be a gap because whoever it is that they really want to be the QB needs to be brought in knowing that he's going to start either the next year so there's like this like middle ground with the backup quarterback who's in no man's land you don't know how good they are because whoever the better option was probably at any of these programs already transferred out so you're kind of stuck with this guy who you don't really want to be your backup, and then the, the freshman is too young to just throw in, in in big games. It's one of those unique challenges, I think, that the big programs are, are going are gonna to be facing. Yeah, without yeah. a doubt. So to, uh, to point it um, another direction, uh, V, right before we had recorded, you had mentioned Quinn Ewers. Uh, Texas just, just destroyed Oklahoma this weekend. That was like one of the most insane games. And, you know, I watched every minute of it. Uh, that that was nuts. And Oklahoma looked like a team with with no energy left, no soul. They looked beaten down. Um, what do you guys think? What do you guys think about, first of all, Texas? Are they going to get themselves into a good position with Quinn at the helm? Uh, probably not this year, but maybe maybe next year. And then two is, you know, is this just a rebuild year for Oklahoma? Um, well, Oklahoma is definitely in a rebuild mode. They lost damn near everybody to the transfer portal. And Brent Venables is an unproven head coach. I said he'd be a failure head coach because there, there's a reason why a guy, he's won, I mean, Royals Award finalist every year. He was mentioned for every job anywhere, and he never took a job, a head job ever. Because I think deep down he knew he didn't really, that wasn't really his deal. He was a defensive coordinator and probably should have stayed that. So I, I've, I've never bought into him being a head coach. We'll see if he can turn it around. But they they looked atrocious. But but I will say the one thing I think about Texas, I think Texas, if Quinn Ewers doesn't get hurt, I think Texas is undefeated and probably the number one or number two team in the country. That's how good I think wow. he is and how good I think Texas is. Now, they obviously aren't good enough to do what we did in 2014, where a backup comes in and you just got to find a way to get the job done. So they aren't that, their program isn't there yet. But this kid's special. I mean, what I watched on Saturday was unreal. Almost an 80% adjusted completion percentage, four touchdowns. He was 65% on throws over 10 yards, what I call NFL throws. I mean, four for four for seven with two touchdowns when they, whenever they blitzed him. They only blitzed him seven times because he was killing them. I mean, and with you had Bajan Robinson in, in, the, in the run game, and the defense has been the, the, probably the biggest surprise. I mean, the, the defense played extremely well against Alabama. It, the Texas Tech loss is kind of an outlier that, that, you know, it was it was that that game they shouldn't have lost, even with their backup. So they're not going to be relevant because they have two losses, but they'll be by far the best two loss team at the end of the year. In I, in my opinion, yeah, I mean it's an interesting situation scenario, right? It's like you see exactly what happens when you bring an actual good quarterback in a conference like the Big Twelve. Like you see what that talent actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, and Oklahoma doesn't have a terrible defense. Venables is always going to have his team right. 
pretty well prepared. But how much of this also falls on the same scenario we were just talking with with Alabama? You talked about the transfer portal losses. Is it? And there's already Oklahoma fans who want Brett Venables replaced. Um, (laughs) but they lost Caleb Williams. They brought in the transfer from South Florida to be the quarterback. The cupboard over there was bare at the quarterback position. So how much of that do you think is the reason that Oklahoma is getting destroyed the way they are is that this backup quarterback really is that bad? Uh, you know, I think it's a collection. Because that's the excuse they want to give. They yeah, want to. They want to give. Right. I mean, it's, it's like I said. You, if your program is built the right way, just because you're on your backup quarterback doesn't mean you lose forty nine to nothing. They may lose the game because of it, but it yeah. should be like twenty eight to fourteen, right? Forty nine. I mean, it was a boat race. I, I've yeah. never seen a Texas Texas Oklahoma game oh, that, that never. Bad. And I don't. I didn't look it up, but that's got to be one of the biggest blowouts in the history of the rivalry. It is. No, it, it, is. it is. It is. And it's the first time they've been held to zero in like, I like, I don't know, 50 or 100 years. It's like, this is like a stupid number. Yeah, it sucks to be an Oklahoma fan right now, unfortunately. <laughs> Heck yeah, yeah. There's it's not, there's, what's the silver lining here, right? Like, what can you look forward to, Zach, if you're, well, if you're an Oklahoma Sooners fan? I, I mean, the offseason, maybe recruiting. <laughs> The the tough part is even their starting quarterback isn't great. He's he's decent, but you know he's not not anywhere near the caliber that they've had on that team in the past. So they've got they've got a you know a huge huge journey ahead of them. They definitely do. Yeah, they're um, probably going to have to switch up the entire program. <laughs> I mean, especially moving into the SEC, whatever whatever offense they're running isn't going to work. Whatever defense they're running isn't going to work. Yeah. So they've got a they've them and Texas. I think Texas, although you guys bring this up, I think they're going to really struggle next year too because they're going to have to have at least a year to adjusting to the level of competition you see in the SEC versus the Big Twelve. Um, yeah, I think that's definitely true. V. I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to see both of the te- these teams move over. Is it next season or is it the following season that they move? I think over? it's twenty twenty three, right? So uh, uh, they moved it up because of- well, right now. They're set to join in 2025, but they're talking about trying to make a deal with the Big 12 to get in earlier. So there's rumors that it could be 2024 or as early as 2023, but right now it's it's like set in stone that they will be in the conference in 2025. It just it might get accelerated. I, I know that's what they want to do, but if I'm Texas or Oklahoma, I'm like, hey, let's hold off until 2025. I don't I don't want <laughs> yeah, that to right give us a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> The, the the decision by Texas was the most surprising one, giving up the Longhorn Network for this. That was yeah. a that was a head scratcher there. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because, and it's you know we'll see if it pays off for them financially and and on the field. And if it does, it it might lay a blueprint for Notre Dame because that's where Notre Dame's at. They're like, ah, I don't know, we like being this NBC team, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to call out TCU as well. Zach, that factoid you you said on last week's podcast made it in many a conversation this weekend, but TCU having the blazing athletes that they do. Uh, it was a good win over Kansas. It came down to the last minute. It was a fun game to watch. Kansas quarterback, in my view, absolutely blew it. Uh, that was like the worst, worst last like two-minute offense I've ever seen. Um, but it was a good game. Like I I think it looked like Big 12 football, but I think that TCU is like a really, really exciting team to watch just given the amount of athleticism on the field. Yeah, there's no doubt. I, I'm, I'm excited for this weekend. I mean, they, they got Oklahoma State, who I've I read a stat today. There, there's only two teams in the country that have won every game, every game this year by double digits, and that's both OSUs, Oklahoma State and Ohio State. And so this wow. TCU-Oklahoma State game this weekend is going to be nuts. You know, what's really interesting is I look at Oklahoma State and I say, they're the one team that's like, hey, let's try to play a little defense. And you see <laughs> over the last couple of years, yeah. the return and the dividends that that's, that's starting to pay um, for them as a program is they're, they're rising to be the best team in the Big 12 right now or looking like it, especially with this win over TCU. But I have to ask this question, Zach. It's when you watch this game, TCU and in Kansas. Like for me personally, I feel like it's a different category. It's not college football. It's something else that these big 12 teams are playing. It's like NFL blitz or something like that, because it doesn't feel like 
the same strategy. It's, a, it's even the same game that's being played uh, as as what we know from football. It's just because it, it's, it's like a minute left, and you think two touchdowns could be scored. You know, there's no doubt. Uh, it's it's just I don't know. It's a different style of football in the conference, and you know, it, it goes all the way down to high school coaching. I mean, the, the high school coaches in Big Twelve country. You know they do things differently. Like you, you compare Florida football to Texas football to California football at a high school level. Like all of it's really good, but it's just different, right? Each place you yeah. go, it's different. And so those kids come into college different. The the coaches that those schools hire have a, have different philosophies. And I mean, the Big Twelve was the the genesis of the Mike Leach offense. Like at one point, every yeah. school, all these schools in the Big Twelve, they all were running this throw it a hundred times offense, right? The whole, yeah. you know, you had Art Bryles. I mean, there's there's a million of them. Um, Cliff Kingsbury. I mean, there was a countless number. So Every, it's just, it's been yeah. a different brand of football for a long time now. Going back to Mark Mangino at Kansas. It's just, they do things differently. And because of it, because of the way the offenses have been built, the defenses don't practice against certain things. So they have to adjust how they play defensive football. It's just, it's, it is an entirely different brand of football. <laughs> now getting getting back to real football we have to talk about tennessee <laughs> we, we absolutely have to talk about tennessee as you initially pointed them out and since you pointed them out i've been watching them and i said let's see what happens this this past weekend um when they place face an lsu team and not only did they win they they dominated that game oh yeah and oh yeah every aspect of do we have a real you know third contender in the sec now um and obviously this game next week is going to prove everything um is going to show everything but i don't see a hole in tennessee at all no their pass defense is their biggest weakness um and they've been without their cedric tillman their best receiver so and he's going to be back for this bama game so obviously (laughs) we're going to learn a lot this weekend but keep in mind there's there's no reason why Tennessee needs to win this game, right? This is this yeah. is a crossover game against the number two team in the country or whatever they are now, and yeah. by all intents and purposes, they're going to try to win. I mean, they they're going to take their best shot, but even if they lose, they can still be a contender. All they have to do is yeah. not screw it up, and then they got to upset Georgia, which I think they're built to do. And then they get a rematch with Alabama, or you know, I've talked about I talked about my on my show today. Or Ole Miss might be a legitimate contender in the West because it's the first time ever. Lane Kiffin's always had an explosive offense. I, I really like Jackson Dart as quarterback, but this is the first. This is the best defense that Lane Kiffin's ever had. He's never really had a good defense, yeah. right? So, if Ole Miss can knock off an Alabama, I mean, you want to talk about Pets' heads falling off? Can you imagine Georgia versus, or I mean, Tennessee versus Ole Miss in the SEC championship game? Like the that'd be crazy. ESPN <laughs> would. I mean, it would be like. It would be like the purge. ESPN is no longer available. Like they wouldn't even know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> that I mean, that would be the most that would be the most surprising and insane thing ever. And everybody I know from Atlanta would be disappointed, and that would be fun. That would be awesome. <laughs> um, UCLA surprised me as well. It was a good yeah. win over Utah that they secured. Uh, I think that they have actually like a really nice program building there. Yeah. Um, I didn't expect them to be able to handily take care of Utah, especially at the beginning of the season. I think UCLA was on rank to start the year, right? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, pretty pretty interesting to see that. Uh, USC took care of business. They're kind of creeping up the charts there. I think the advantage of that conference is that they really don't have to play that many teams to be able to, to secure a spot in the playoff. Right. They just have to be better than you know two other teams, essentially, pretty consistently. So unless they all trade losses, one of those teams, you know, and Utah already had that loss against Florida, one of those teams, probably USC, can find its way into the playoff. Um, do you think that, I mean, we would need to see Clemson lose, we'd need to see Tennessee probably lose to fall behind USC, but do you think that USC is a team that, you know, I don't think that they have the talent to participate at that level, but I think just from how the system's constructed, they may have the best opportunity. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think what we what we what we know so far, right, is UCLA and USC look like legitimate contenders. Um, UCLA got a big win; that, that was a massive win. And and you watch how they play. Chip Kelly has Dorian <clears throat> Thompson Robinson playing at a high level. They have the Michigan transfer Zach Charbonnet as their running back, who's been a dynamic player in conference. 
I really like UCLA, and I also really like USC. Again, probably Lincoln Riley's best defense. Oklahoma's never had a good defense. Now he goes out to the West Coast. Alex Grinch, his defensive coordinator, who I've said time and time again, regardless of how bad Oklahoma was, he's one of the best defensive coaches I've ever worked with. Um, Yeah. I think USC has a legitimate chance, too. I think Caleb Williams is a good player. They brought in a million kids from the transfer portal, and they look really strong. And I think if UCLA, they have a bye week this week, Going into the Oregon game, if they can beat Oregon, I mean, you're talking about Stanford, Arizona State, Arizona is their next three games after that. They yeah. could legitimately be 10-0 and going into that USC game. And you talk about bringing Pac-12 football on the West Coast relevancy back. Chip Kelly and Lincoln Riley have re-energized the Pac-12 at that moment when they're 10-0 and playing for essentially a playoff berth. Right. What if this was the Big Ten's master plan the whole time? Let's get this TV deal done. Let's facilitate. <laughs> let's let's facilitate this happening, and uh, and bring them to the Big Ten next year. <laughs> that, seems- I mean that <laughs> that would be that would be hilarious if if the Big Ten had really just just waited and waited until UCLA and USC were about to pop and been like, all right, let's see the deal. <laughs> let's get you undervalued, and then we're gonna reap the reward of that financially. <laughs> Um, and talk about taking the life away from the Pac-12. It's like you've been they've been so down and so bad for so long and then they this move gets announced, right? They're losing USC UCLA. And that year, USC and UCLA are both ridiculously good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, amazing. here's the thing. I watched the USC game and caught a glimpse. I mean, USC fans are showing up to the Coliseum. They're not showing up to UCLA yet. But it's, you know, everybody knows LA is a fair weather uh, sports community. I think we're going to start seeing some pretty full uh, games. That it, the weather is quite fair here. Yeah. It is quite fair. I think we're going to start seeing a few more, <laughs> few more UCLA uh, jerseys out and about. In, uh, I was in actually Southern thinking California. about going to one of the games because they're super easy to get to <laughs> and super cheap. You can probably stub hub it for like six bucks before the game. <laughs> you probably just, give a guy a hot dog on the yeah. street and you'll get a ticket. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy that a team that is performing well has that small of a fan base. It just goes to show you that you know, I think a lot of people don't realize this about about the West Coast specifically, but um, you know, from the Midwest, like football is everything. That's what I grew up on. Coming out here, nobody gives a shit. Like <laughs> nobody's paying attention at all. And it's a shocking thing to be around. And just like the weather's that good. Like there's there's a lot more to do. I think that's the challenge that ultimately faces those those two programs is that you're selling LA, but you're not selling like a rabid fan base really, right? So yeah. it's it's like if you want that, and then the distractions that exist at uh, in, <laughs> there, in there are our, numerous distractions. Uh, yeah, the distractions that exist. I think it makes the job of a college coach coaching 18, 19 year old kids a lot more difficult than, say, Iowa, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, let's do a little look forward to this coming weekend. A um, couple games that just look fantastic. Uh, we'll start with probably the main highlight, Alabama-Tennessee. Um, you mentioned it, Zach. They're on their backup at Alabama. This is ripe for an upset with Tennessee. Uh, this would yep. be an amazing, amazing development because if Tennessee does upset, it's a pretty high likelihood we wouldn't have to deal with Bama if we make the playoff, which would be nice because they do tend to be our Achilles heel. Um, how how do you see this game going? And and really from the Tennessee perspective, what are the things that they need to do and really, really focus on to be able to execute here and, and take the win? Well, here's 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 the one thing I, I will correct you on is is Bryce Young is going to play. This oh, he game. is playing. I mean, they and here's how I know that I heard from a guy, a, an inside source, let's call it. That in that A and M game, when it's it was not going well, it was going sideways. They took him in the locker room to shoot him up, and he was going to play oh, wow. if they needed him. Okay, to. and they ended up escaping out of there without using him. So he will be on every painkiller and every shoulder injection you can get. Okay. to play in that game. Now that doesn't mean he's going to be the hundred percent healthy version of Bryce Young, and I think that's going to be the biggest <clears throat> issue for Bama because they do not beat Tennessee. No chance they beat Tennessee with with Jalen Milrow as their quarterback. So the question becomes, all right, what about a 70% Bryce Young? Can they win the game with him? And P- Tennessee's biggest weakness on their team is their pass defense. And Alabama's receiving core has been awful this year. 
So it's kind of weakness on weakness. It's a perfect storm matchup for for Tennessee to to pull the upset off, and and I think they do. I think they win the game at home, three thirty, and it's going to be. It's, it's, you talk about a crazy scene this weekend. I, I read a stat. This is only the second time in the history of college football ever that three games are happening on the same Saturday with teams that are all five and zero or better. Wow! Because there's there's three undefeated matchups this weekend. You talk about clearing the the, the fog that is the college football landscape. We're gonna. We're going to know a lot after this weekend because you have TCU has to play Oklahoma State. Penn State goes to Michigan. And then this game at 3.30, the uh, Tennessee-Alabama, it's going to be a hell of a day of college football. Yeah. And the Buckeyes have a bye. Yeah. So we, can, we, we Ohio State doesn't lose. It's already a win. And we get to watch three, three great, uh, great games. Yeah, it's fantastic. Can we talk about this Penn State-Michigan game? I think this, this is a really exciting one, man. Like I'm, I'm really looking mm-hmm. forward to this. What you mentioned about Penn State's defense earlier has me fired up. I would love nothing more than to see Harbaugh lose. That's what I root for every week. Um, what like what does Michigan have going for them in this matchup? And you know, this is in Michigan, so it's going to be a tougher one for Penn State. Um, do you think that they have they have a shot to pull off the upset? I mean, they definitely have a shot. I mean, I think I think Penn State's defense is legitimate, and I think Michigan's offense has yet to really be. Harbaugh still has his hands around the neck of the offense and he's choking it. He hasn't, he hasn't suffocated it yet, but he won't let it breathe. Mm. And so he either has to take his hands off the throat of this offense and let them go, go breathe and flourish and thrive and kind of develop because they don't throw the ball downfield. J.J. McCarthy, it looks like they're trying to make J.J. McCarthy into Cade McNamara when the reason you went to him is because he can do more, right? And yeah. so Penn State has a chance. I just, I can't trust Sean Clifford to go in the big house and beat an, a, a, a good football team that, that Michigan is. I mean, think about this. I think Sean Clifford's the only player in the United States of America that is playing college football right now that I coached against. Like, I coached really? against him. I've been out wow. of coaching for four years, and I coached against Sean Clifford. <laughs> that's like that's nine hilarious. Millionth year. Maybe, right, maybe, he's been there for 30 years. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll have the Kenny Pickett effect for him. Who knows? That's what they all hope. <laughs> yeah, but can overall, you, can, overall, it's, it's weakness on the the strength of that defense. You said is their pass defense, right? And Michigan's strength offensively is the run offense, which hopefully yep. allows them and takes gives them enough to get this victory. Combined with you know Sean Clifford mm-hmm. being who we knew Sean Clifford is. So when <laughs> when you talk about, I just want to get in that comment of like you know strangling the offense. Like, what is that? You know what exactly does that look like, and what does like a flourishing offense look like? Well, I mean, it, it's they're they're not asking JJ McCarthy to do a lot, right? Like he's an, he's a good athlete, he he has good arm talent, and they don't ask him to make a bunch of big throws. They don't have a lot of concepts where he has to do a lot with his arm, and they don't let him run a ton. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he could be so much more impactful if they incorporated some quarterback runs or just some movement passes where he's out of the pocket and he could scramble maybe if nothing's there like just some things that they could do to kind of unhook the leash and let him go become a great player they just they kind of bottle him up into this systematic offense that is Jim Harbaugh's offense and they treat him like Andrew Luck and it's like he's not he's totally different player than Andrew Luck like why are we trying it'd be like trying to literally be like I mean this is another extreme analogy but if you took Michael Vick and said hey we're gonna run these Peyton Manning plays okay You'd be like, you're an idiot. Like, why would you ever do that? Like, let let him be him. Is this something? Is this something that you feel like? Do you feel like a lot of coaches get stuck in this mindset of like trying to replicate the system and not really focusing on the players that they have? Like, is that a common thing in in you know even in the pros as well? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a big problem in coaching, and and Ur- that was where Urban, you know, to an extent, was pretty good. I mean, when when Cardale Jones became the quarterback, yeah. we couldn't do the stuff we did with JT Barrett, and he always said like, our players will dictate our scheme. Mm. Like if we have a if we have Curtis Samuel or Percy Harvin, we're certainly going to do a lot of jet sweep motions, put them in the backfield, run some run plays with them, run counter. But we never did that with uh, Philly Brown. Because right. he wasn't that type of player, right? You evolve your scheme. I mean, you have an overall philosophy that never changes, but you evolve your scheme around the personnel you have. You have to. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he, you know, initially it seemed like he tried to recruit and replicate, find the talent that could replicate that. But then once he got there, it seemed like he adjusted uh, fairly quickly uh, as well. And that's why it was so mind boggling the following year after the national championship 
why at the beginning it was almost like was this stage so that JT could come back because we were running JT's offense for Cardell or was that the, the a lot of people say it was a loss of the offensive coordinator um, who shall remain le- nameless out of respect for Zach. <laughs> 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 um, but it seemed like that's kind of where we got lost is in that follow-up year early on what we were doing was not adjusting the offense to the quarterback the same way that we did the year before. No doubt. It was complete ineptitude of the offensive staff, of which I was a part of. Really proud, proud moment of my career. (laughs) 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 Well, I I just had to had to bring that up. Every time we bring up Cardell and systems, I always have to always think about that. It's like, God, why didn't we just do the same thing we did the year before? (laughs) Um, Let's also... uh, Let's also talk about Oklahoma State TCU. Uh, that's going to be fantastic. That's our other five and zero matchup that you referenced earlier. Wh- what do these teams have to show to prove that they are on the level of everybody else this weekend? Well, I mean, th- this is the game, right? For for either of them to win, this is the matchup that everyone's looking at. I mean, t- like if TCU pulls it out, they still have to beat a good Texas team in November. But this will be the one that that gets them in the conversation, right? This is the the price of admission to the college football playoff is they got to win this game. And if they yeah. do, they're sitting at the table. They're a part of the conversation. And I mean, Oklahoma State is it's interesting because Oklahoma State is the one team in the Big 12, I think V, v you mentioned it earlier, that plays some semblance of defense. I mean, Jim Knowles <laughs> was there, obviously, one of the best yeah. defenses in the country. He comes to Ohio State. You turn on Oklahoma State, they're running the same stuff. I mean, yeah. they, they have the same philosophy, same scheme. So their defense is suffocating. And TCU, we talked about it uh, the other week. They're they're all about team speed. I mean, they are fast, fast. And so it's it's honestly a clash of the big t- Big Twelve Titans, where you have a great defensive football team with a a good quarterback. Spencer Sanders is a good player. I don't buy the hype that the national media gives him, like he is some relevant quarterback in the national quarterback conversation. But he's a good player. And then TCU is just it's all about just electricity. I mean, I feel like sparks or smoke come out of their cleats when they run around it's 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 going to be an exciting game to watch and do you think that uh, either team has to have a dominant win here or do you think you know a close a close game earns earns respect as well yeah i mean honestly if tcu can pull this off they beat an undefeated kansas team who i know when you see hear the word or see the logo it's like yeah but it's kansas but that was an undefeated good football team they beat them and if they can turn around and beat oklahoma state the next week they're absolutely. I mean, even if it's by one point, they are immediately in the conversation. You have to. You have to put them in the conversation. It's going to make for a very interesting end of the season if we have mm-hmm. undefeated teams in the Big Twelve and the Pac twelve, and then you have to decide between them and you know maybe an undefeated Clemson, um, but and a one loss Georgia or Alabama who goes in. That's gonna. That's a decision I don't want to have to be making or be in the room having to make. Oh, no doubt. And, and um, one of my subscribers asked asked me that on the show this morning or the, at this lunchtime show today. If USC or UCLA wins the Pac-12 undefeated, TCU or Oklahoma State wins the Big 12 undefeated, Clemson wins the ACC undefeated, Ohio State or Michigan wins the Big 10 undefeated, and the SEC has a one-loss team in, let's say, Alabama. Alabama is certainly one of the best four teams, but yeah. can you really leave out an undefeated team? And if that happens, every playoff expansionist in the world is going to be like chugging beers like, yeah, told you, we got to expand, <laughs> yeah. man. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it, it'll happen immediately if an SEC team misses because oh. that's that's where the dollars come from for ESPN. Yeah, yeah. Yep. We, we'll, we'll see how it all it all plays out. Do I guess we've got two topics left. One, we have to make predictions on the Tennessee uh, on these three games. And I got um, one more game to call out, V. I got USC and Utah to call out because we just saw UCLA make their statement. I think yeah. Utah's got a chip on their shoulder after that game. They're going to want to prove prove something here. Utah's a legitimately good football team. USC is trying to make a statement, continue their undefeated record. I think that's a fantastic game that's going to happen this weekend. Oh yeah, that is a good game. It's definitely an upset alert game because you let Utah is good enough and well coached enough to have a bounce back kind of performance after losing to U- UCLA and and I mean Is that game in you, Utah? You know, it's at Utah, yeah. That's a big that's a big one too. Yeah. Big big test for USC. If they survive yeah. this one, I, I by all intents and purposes, I think it'll be two undefeated teams that 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 play on November nineteenth. Uh, um but it's it's gonna be a tough test. I'm excited to watch it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then what was your other thing, V? Well, I wanted to discuss the the big news in the NFL. You know, it's a running topic for us. When you get paid for failing, uh, I think uh, <laughs> Matt Rule just lost his uh, Carolina Panthers job, and his reward is getting paid eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars a month for like the next five years or something is how the payout structure is, is working on his contract. But he immediately becomes the top coaching available coaching candidate for pretty much every job. I've heard the rumblings in Oklahoma that it might be that they might just replace Venables with, with rule. <laughs> this is a guy who has proven to be able to take programs that are in trouble and bring them back um, to relevancy in the college. You can't, despite his epic failure at the NFL level, you can't take away his abilities as a program builder. What are the jobs that you think are most attractive to him? I know Partha wants you to include Georgia Tech in this uh, in this conversation. Um, and <laughs> where do you one coach for Georgia Tech, <laughs> Dion? <laughs> and where do you where do you think Matt Rule ends up next year? Well, you know what I I think Matt Rule's long been a long time Penn State guy. I mean, played there, worked there, was a GA there. He loves Penn State, and Penn State loves Matt Rule. And there was a lot of rumblings when James Franklin was struggling, and he was at Baylor that he was going to be the next head coach. Then he jumped to the NFL. And I think what most schools are going to, are going to feel about Matt Rule is he didn't have a chance at Carolina. I mean, the yeah. personnel department, the, the GM, they selected J.C. Horn over CJ <laughs> or over Justin Fields. And you're like, what? They don't have a quarterback. Yeah. They're yeah. not going to take Justin Fields? <laughs> they, they drafted a corner. I think they got mistaken in the communication line. They thought that Matt said he needed a, a cornerback. He actually needed a quarterback, and he never got one. So he didn't have a, he didn't have a chance in that league. Ever. Yeah. And so I, I'm here's here's my conspiracy theory. Because coaches get fired because of available coaches all the time, right? The minute Urban yeah. Meyer's name gets brought up at any job, the coach gets fired. It happened in Nebraska, it happened at Arizona State already this Texas. year. Now that Matt Rule's available, I could see a path where Penn State loses to Michigan, then loses to Minnesota, then loses to Ohio State in three back to back games, and they say enough's enough. Enough of this mediocrity from James Franklin. Let's pull the plug and get our guy. And they pull the plug yeah. on James Franklin and hire Matt Rule. Wow. Wow. So here's the question. If you're Penn State, would you tank for Matt Rule? <laughs> I mean, the I coach there. <laughs> no, not, I mean, a, not the at the coach level. We got to go. We got to go up a level. We got to go, go like, to the administration. Like Arizona State style. Like send like, the game let, plans. Like let the, the air out teams. of some of the tires uh, uh, on the team bus and maybe the defense doesn't make the uh, game. I don't think Penn, Penn State can afford any more, uh, <laughs> any more controversy. <laughs> no, but I'm going to tell you what. Here's, here's what they could do. I've heard of this happening. All of a sudden, surprise random drug tests for like the key, all the key players. Like don't yeah, tell them wow. it's coming and all of a sudden you try to pop a bunch of kids with a drug suspension. Wow. Oh. Wow. That, that could be. happen. That could happen. Oh, that could, that happen. could happen quick. That I mean, quick. The, the good thing here is that if if James Franklin is let go, he won't have trouble finding another position somewhere to face him. Hey, well, man, letting go. Some, some, people, like, some people like being 10 and 2 and 9 Letting and go, getting let go from being a head coach in college football right now is the most lucrative job. Yeah. Period. Oh, you get a million dollars a month and you don't have to do anything. Sign me up. It's winning bro. the lottery. Sign it's winning the lottery. Up. It really is. Yeah, yeah. it really is. Uh, failing at any major corporate leadership job is winning the lottery. It's winning. The, you won the race. These jobs are designed for failure. <laughs> because when you're actually working and performing, they're highly stressful. <laughs> they're stressful and right. it's never worth it. Yeah. It's better to get in that position and just suck at it. Yeah. When Tom Herman and I talked about it. All the time at Ohio State. Every every time, because Tom was a hot name as a coordinator, he used to say all the time, like, listen, I'm not trying to be a Hall of Fame coach. I just want to get to that that one massive job and get fired. And then I'm, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> and guess what? He, he did. Lived it. He's, he did he's it. on his way. Hey, he's a man it. of his what? word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Oh man. <laughs> oh man, it was. Oh man, I knew. I knew talking about coaching, we we would get to a place like this. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, okay, I'm crying. Oh man. Okay, let's get we, let's think... get to these score predictions and and, yeah. and, and get us out of here. Uh, let's start with the Big Ten matchup: Michigan, Penn State. Uh, who do you guys have? Oh man. Um, 
I just I can't I can't do it with Sean Clifford at the helm at quarterback. I think if Drew Aller, their five star young quarterback, was the starting quarterback game one, and they they he was able to develop and grow, I I think Penn State would have a real shot in this game. But I I think Michigan wins at home. Yeah, um, no bias at all in this prediction, but I predict Penn State uh, to win uh, in a pretty low scoring context. I haven't seen much from either of these teams in terms of like offensive dynamos uh, outside of the running game in Michigan. I see this being a, uh, a close game, 21-17 uh, Penn State. I like it. Yeah, I feel pretty similar, I, but the other way around, I think Michigan will be able to pull this one mm-hmm. out. I just don't think Penn State will be able to score enough to, to be able to win. Um, I see it probably around 24-17. Perfect. I think. I think. I, I think. You, as good as these two teams are defensively, I think we might see some points here. For, you think for so? no real reason, um, other than I, I, I feel like this game's going to be a back and forth, blow for blow, and I, I think, I think Michigan wins, but I think it's going to be more like thirty-five, thirty-one. Nice, nice. So then, um, next one is Alabama, Tennessee. Well, this 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 is the 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 one that I mean. Obviously, it's 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 hard to pick against Nick Saban, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to ride my guns. I mean, I've, since since Hendon Hooker played Georgia last year, I've I've been hyping up Tennessee from that moment on, and 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 I've said <laughs> from then, and I'll say it now. If Hendon Hooker come, came back, Tennessee was going to be a contender in the SEC. He came back, and he has lightened up the world. I think they they not only beat Bama at home, Knoxville burns to the ground. <laughs> Afterwards, <laughs> and then Hendon Hooker's the odds-on favorite to win the Heisman. Yeah, this is a tough one for me. Is there been confirmation that um, that Bryce Young is going to play in this game, or is it still up in the air? I don't know that. Um, I don't know that it, it's been announced. I don't know. Nick Saban is not the type of guy to announce it, really. Um, yeah. But I, everyone that I've talked to said the kid's going to play, and he and he could have played last week if they if he had to. Yeah, he was dressed last week, but just yeah. on the oh, yeah. sideline. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that's that makes a big difference in this game. I think. Again, I think this is. I would. I really. Everything in me wants to pick Tennessee in this game, but this is the game that Nick Saban always wins, right? Like that upstart team that might be getting on the SEC radar goes and faces mm-hmm. Nick Saban. He wins these games, and if Bryce Young is playing, it's hard for me to pick up against Alabama. But my, I really do want Tennessee to win this game on a personal. Yeah, for sure. I'd like to see I'm that program go, back on top. Yeah, I'm a roofer. I'm a root for Tennessee here. I think that, to your point, V, this is perfectly curated for Saban's coaching expertise. This is this is where he shines. But I'm going to go ahead and pick the other way. Um, I want I want to see Tennessee pull this one out. I think that if they do, it's going to be a weird close game with a lot of weird point totals. Um, I see it. 33-31, Tennessee. It's a good score. I like it. TCU, Oklahoma State. Last, last these big three matchups. I, I just I can't go against team speed. I did it last week in the Kansas game, and I'm, I'm going to do it again. I think, I think TCU wins this game. I do think Oklahoma State's a really good football team. And I think it's going to be a, a close game for a while, but I think that speed pulls them through it. And I think they win by you know a, a score like, I mean, it's Big 12 football, so we'll give it a 42 42- 35 final score. Yeah, I've got this one going in Oklahoma State's favor. His defense wins championships, and I think their offense is good enough. We saw in this Kansas game that TCU, although they have a bunch of athletes, they don't offer much in terms of resistance. So I think that Oklahoma State is going to get those one or two stops that the TCU doesn't get. And I, I see the same thing. I see like, you know, 56 49 in this game. It's going to be a track game. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think I think there's gonna be a lot of points. Um, I think Oklahoma State's the better team, so I'm gonna go with them. I think it'll be uh, probably just touchdowns. I don't I don't know if we'll see a single field goal. Um, I'm going uh, 49-42. Ooh, some high scoring games. Yeah, honestly, that would be the best. I am not here to watch these. You know, eleven to eleven to seven, or you know. I don't want to see that. Oh anymore. man! Speaking of bad games, that Thursday night football game last week was one of the oh. worst NFL games I've ever seen in my life. That that was like that Alabama uh, 
Alabama Auburn or was Alabama Georgia? Uh, oh yeah, national championship game. Yeah, it, well, you know what it was like. It was it was it was a lot like the Iowa Illinois game. The two days later, nine to six. Yeah. Like yeah. somebody somebody listens to my show said during the game they said this is like watching Iowa's spring game. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, with these low like, scoring Iowa games, versus Iowa. <laughs> if there was ever a time I wanted the Aaron Judge cut in, it's during those games. Yeah, right. <laughs> no doubt. Well, I mean, it's gonna be a fun. It's gonna be a fun weekend, Zach. We can't wait to catch up with you next week and talk about all the shenanigans that go down. It will definitely be a different landscape after this weekend. So I'm excited to see how it plays out. Thanks for joining us, bro. I appreciate you guys. Thanks, man. Take care.